It's Wednesday, which means, once again, it's Happy Podcast Day. Hey there, Hooniverse fans. It's Chris, the producer of the show, once again. I just wanted to uh, give you guys a little context this week. Jeff and Blake both got to sit down for about half an hour with uh, Mr. Bob Lutz. That's right, Maximum Bob Lutz. So enjoy while the guys go through their half-hour interview with Bob, and we'll be back to normal episodes next week. This podcast is brought to you by Shout Engine. In less than five minutes, you can start your own podcast for free with ShoutEngine.com. No, I mean, it looks pretty legit. Yeah. Um, I did just get to see the, uh, I was at the Reno Automobile Museum, and I didn't know what to expect, uh, you know, it's Reno, and yeah. <laughs> uh, it was actually pretty amazing. They had oh, a Dymaxion. Is that the, oh, is that the one that used to be hers? Yes, yeah, okay. exactly. Well, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Some junk and some good stuff. Right. Yeah. And there's uh, the 1907 Thomas Flyer, yeah. which was amazing. Um, and then um, what else? Was there? there was uh, oh the Phantom Corsair was there. Yeah. The one-off car that yeah. Heinz built. That was pretty amazing too. Well, that one shows up at, at Concours. Uh, yeah. Shows quite a bit. Well, it was, I was pumped because I have a, a die cast of it on my desk. So mm-hmm. then I walked around the corner. It was sitting there. It was very cool. <laughs> yeah, but it was really neat. Well, uh, this is kind <laughs> of. <laughs> Stylistically inspired a little bit by the Phantom. Sure, Corsair, yeah. Which seems but with a more conventional front end. That, and the Corsair seems like it'd be the scariest car to sit in the back seat of ever. It's, it's like a little. Oh, the visibility was. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and you're sitting backwards and, and the little backlights. Yeah. And um, and that was the original chopped and channeled. Look. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a, I mean, I know he planned to build some, and I think it was going to cost twenty six grand back in the yeah, late thirties. Well, multiply by ten. Yeah. It'll be two hundred and sixty now. <laughs> Not too shabby. Uh, <laughs> that's that's when admission to a major motion picture was ten cents in the afternoon and twenty five cents at night. So yeah, there you go, twenty six thousand dollars for car. I mean, yeah, houses were half that. Oh, listen, I my ambition when I was graduating from Cal Berkeley uh, in sixty three, um, I'd go look at fifty thousand dollar houses near Walnut Creek and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And it'd be, you know, um, sunken living rooms, glassed-in patios, screen porch, swimming pool outside, three-car garage, and my my then wife and I would walk around and say, "Wow!" And, uh, and I'd say, "I hope to have a home like this someday." And I said, "Well, you're going to have to work hard, son, because yeah. this is a forty-eight thousand dollars home." <laughs> nice. And I drove here just for reference. Uh, <laughs> my press card this week is three hundred seventy thousand dollars. Yeah. So <laughs> it's funny where we've come. Um, and I park in front of my rented apartment, uh, which is what also kind of funny. Uh, Bentley Mulsanne. Uh, um, just for a few days, though. Uh, yeah, not exactly value for money. <laughs> no, no, no. But it's nice to have seven hundred fifty-two pound feet of torque. <laughs> yeah, that's despite. But it's almost offset by what's the weight. Well, they say it goes zero to sixty in five point one seconds, though, oh, wow. which is pretty impressive. But it, yeah, but it's very much so offset. So many lesser cars. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the the new CTS uh, V Sport with the with the 450 yeah. horsepower twin turbo V6 is probably quicker. Yeah, I would say so yeah. for sure. And and then we'll as soon as you hit a corner, <coughs> and I'll bet you, I will bet you that that Bentley Mulsanne is lucky to get 10 miles per gallon on it. I'm right about 10, but I've been doing a good amount of highway driving. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, you, I think it was Car and Driver not so long ago had. Um, a shootout between three 
three German super sedans, and they had that an M6, mm -hmm. uh, uh, an Audi, Audi Sport, something, an A6, uh, or yeah, I guess it was an A6, with, with and then they had a, uh, an AMG mm -hmm. uh, Mercedes, and they all weighed between five and 6,000 yeah. pounds. Uh, they were all fairly quick, but none of them as quick as a, as a Cadillac CTSV. Right. <laughs> and then they showed the average mileage from all of, for all of them. And the, the Audi actually won with 10.2 oh miles per gallon. <laughs> 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 nice. That's, pretty, that's like the truck. Uh, Blake and I both just spent time in a, uh, a Shelby Raptor. Yeah. So Shelby 2 and the Raptor. And it, I think it weighed 9,700 pounds or something. It had, it had about 1,000 <laughs> pounds worth of bumpers and racks on it. Yeah. yeah. And it had a 572 horsepower supercharger. So it was, it was fun, yeah. but it definitely wasn't fast. But remember when everybody <laughs> got upset about the Hummer H2 that uh, did 11 miles per gallon in the city and <laughs> the lefties got all bent out of shape over it? <laughs> Yeah, but it's okay to buy a German sedan that that only gets ten miles right, per gallon because right. that that's socially responsible. It isn't an SUV. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you a question because you're clearly an enthusiast. You're passionate about cars. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that automotive enthusiasts are a dying breed? No, I don't. I don't buy that because uh, you just see at all ages uh, people continue to be enthusiastic mm -hmm. about cars. It may not be as ubiquitous as it once was because um, it's a lot of kids have been split off into electronic technology. Right. But even th even the kids that are off into electronic technology, a lot of them are still very enthusiastic about cars. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I really think that as a general conveyance um, the the car as we know it today <coughs> is facing the same fate that the horse did a hundred years ago and that the the horse survived but it was banned from the streets and right. it now survives on dude ranches horse farms riding stables etc etc private private property and that's that's the way it'll be with the automobile that you actually drive yourself mm -hmm. that'll be relegated to automotive country clubs like uh Autobahn and Spring Mountain. Yeah, exactly. Um, and there will probably still be, just like there are um, quarter horse breeders and and uh, show jumper breeders, mm -hmm. there will be uh, small automotive companies that still make bespoke uh, race cars for these um, off-road events. But on-road, it's going to be Without question, I mean, there's no, beyond the shadow of a doubt, there's there's no avoiding this, especially as population density increases. It's going to be all driverless, voice programming, battery operated till you get to the freeway. <coughs> Once you're on the freeway, there'll be an inductive cable buried in the in the freeway surface, and the car will draw its energy from that inductive cable. It'll charge the battery. Mm -hmm. And what, what, what will happen is your normed module will blend into the traffic flow, mm -hmm. and it'll be like a train. It'll right. be like maybe you know a two-foot separation. The whole thing will move at 90 miles an hour. Uh, and when you get to your exit, uh, your module will delink electronically. I mean, there's no mechanical right. connection. It'll delink from the flow and go into a decel lane, 
and now it's on its own battery power again until you get to your destination. And the other day, some you know the papers were full of Ford working on technology where car goes away and parks itself. <laughs> well, you know, GM demonstrated that uh, about five years ago, right. and uh, that's that's relatively trivial if you've got. Uh, GPS, you can get out of right. the car, tell the module to go park itself, and when you want it again, you d- dial it up on your phone, and the car comes and picks you up. Yeah. But there's there's no question that if we're going to avoid um, chaos on the roadways with ever higher vehicle density, we are going to have to go to mm-hmm. driverless driverless self-programming cars. And that's sad. Yeah, that's why I say, well, you should always keep at, lo- at least one motorcycle because they're, <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to be able to do that with bikes. Right. That's yeah. That's that's true. Um, <laughs> that's funny. And then obviously on those roadways, there, like you said, there is no place for someone controlling the car. That's no. why you're relegated to this yeah. off road now. At that point. Yeah. And, and you know, private areas you can have them at home. Rich people will have uh, ten acres with a little circuit on it. Right. So. Right. Now, uh, you've helped bring a lot of vehicles to life. Um, is there any one that you have the most attachment to or that's most memorable that you've helped create? Yeah, and, and, and uh, you know, everybody kind of says, well, they, they don't expect it from me, but the answer is the Chevy Volt because it's technologically the most significant. It's the one that required the greatest leap of faith. You know, every other car I ever had anything to do with... Um, was based off of known technology, and there were always, um, you know, even the Viper V10 engine. Well, there's no magic to a to a V10. It's just <laughs> well, there's just, some magic. It's, it's just, just not that type of magic. It's just a V8 with two more cylinders. Right. And and uh, we, we we could get the gearbox we wanted, the the diff we wanted. I mean, all that stuff was available. Uh, so it, it, from a technological standpoint, it was like putting together a Lego, putting sure. together something new out of Lego bricks. The problem with the Volt was there were no Lego bricks. Mm-hmm. There, there was, n- there were no control units, no power controllers, no software, uh, and, and no electric motors. I mean, we had to invent that thing from scratch, mm-hmm. and we had to do it in three years. And I always say. No other car company in the world could have done that car. Only General Motors, because only General Motors has has the depth of engineering talent that it takes to do a car a car like that, soup to nuts. Sure. And here we are, three years later, and or almost four years later. And what is the world's automobile industry? What have the Germans given us? Mm-hmm. The BMW i3. Yeah. Yeah. No comment. <laughs> what about the XL1? Any thoughts on that one? The Volkswagen, the diesel. Oh, um, the, the range the extended. The, the suppository shaped yes, the one. Yes, suppository shaped one. Well, <laughs> it, it, it's what are they going to build? Sixty of them? Uh, two fifty total. Yeah, it's 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 a meaningless meaningless PR in the grand right. Okay. Um, what, what Toyota always said about the Volt: <laughs> Don't pay any attention to it. It's a meaningless PR right. exercise. <laughs> My wife has a Prius. Yeah. Forgive me. Um, it's free though. It's a company car. Now seeing the automotive landscape where it is right now, do you think General Motors should have maybe given more attention or more love to the Saturn EV1 and evolved it into something else? Um, no, I, the world just wasn't ready for EVs. Okay. And there was no reason for them. Fuel was cheap, and if you weren't an EV fanatic, there was really no reason to buy it. And that's why 
Uh, you know, a, a collection of, of uh, Hollywood stars and other celebrities, but nobody bought them. They all leased them for 300 right. bucks a month. And, right. and at some point, GM was losing so much money on them, mm -hmm. they were hand-built. And we said, could we please have our cars back, which was absolutely within our right to do. Of course. And then that became, the, the, the big PR mistake was to crush right, them. We right. should have locked them in a museum someplace. Sure. Um, but... Uh, no, it was it was an okay car with uh, um, it, it drove fairly well. Um, it had pretty good range considering that it it had to make do with uh, nickel metal hydride instead okay. of uh, lithium ion, and and a, a lot of those EV1 guys were still at General Motors when we decided to do the Volt, and they'd been dispersed into other departments. But the minute we started the Volt program, those guys all volunteered oh, yeah. and, and came together. And that, that gave us a tremendous head start on the whole thing. That makes sense. Um, is there any vehicle throughout history that you, one that you weren't involved with, that you kind of wish you were involved? Yeah. Uh, let me, I mean, I mean there's, there's, there's a ton of them. <laughs> uh, obviously, because other people have done sensational stuff that um, sorry about that. Sorry. Um, I would say probably the original Audi Quattro. Was oh, that's one. a good one. Yeah, I expected you to say something like E-Type or Quattro is a good one though. No, well, but see, that was again now available to the public is basically high-performance, rally-winning technology yeah. uh, at an affordable price. And it was distinctly something that uh, that nobody else had done before. Right. And that was the, it was like a breakthrough. Yeah, Almost I mean, it changed Group B yeah, forever. Yeah. Uh, so th that's why I really admired Ferdinand Piech for having had the guts to do that. Right. And then, um, speaking of automotive projects, how's the VL Destino coming out? It's, as I was explaining to Blake, it's it's delayed about three months due to the Fisker problems that mm -hmm. they had. They they didn't deliver uh, the software codes to us <laughs> for the vehicle portion okay. that we need to make uh, the instrument panel, the in-car entertainment system, the uh, climate control system, the NAV system, all of that interact with the GM portion. So we have one car that drives but has nothing else, okay. and another one that has everything else oh but yeah. doesn't drive. <laughs> the fascia, that's a huge improvement that you guys did on yeah, that one. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> it's um, a mustache. Yeah, the Cheshire Cat. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we're gonna, I think we're going to work that some more because my intent was always to have an inset chrome frame in that grill. Okay. And we, we ran out of time for the Detroit Auto Show last year to do that a fabricated inset okay. home frame. But as far as I'm concerned, when we do saleable units, that's still part of the program. I, I think the front end could just use a tiny little bit of jewelry. Hmm. Um, but I, 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 the car looks so much better with... Uh, yeah, it's, it changes it completely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh -huh. We got rid of those little rhomboidal air impacts. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, that's that's. I mean, uh, Henry, uh, Henrik Fisker is a great designer, but there are aspects of that car where you ask yourself what he was thinking. Sure. I mean, you, yeah, you can probably say that with anybody when they're given free range to design yep. their car. They probably need a, someone looking over their shoulder saying, Somebody, "Dial it back right there." 
Yeah, because you're absolutely right. You know, sometimes designers get enamored of a certain direction and they look at it long enough and, and if it's a senior designer, all the others say, oh man, that's <laughs> cool, boss. <laughs> and then, but then if enough senior executives come in and say, not bad, but man, that was <laughs> this part's weird. <laughs> and if, you know, if four or five of them say that, then they think maybe we better change it. Yeah. Do you work with Henry Fisker or do you talk to him or show him the... Um, um, well, we we talked to Henrik, um, my, my partner Gilbert Villarreal, and I talked to him uh, at regular in intervals back when Fisker was still a going concern. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, uh, but ever since he was removed, you know, we it's just been the occasional contact. Uh, you were with BMW for about three years? Yeah. What do you think of that company's current direction? It seems like they're trying to not just fill all the niches, but like make new ones, and they're kind of just throwing numbers and letters at the wall. I, I think it's, uh, and I've, I've mentioned this to some of the BMW guys, I think they are overpopulating and overproliferating the product line, with, and uh, it's a whole bunch of answers to questions that nobody asks. Exactly, yeah. Like those fastback sedans, mm. <laughs> which are, you know, not pretty, nope. and then they've got the the X5, which is fine, and fine, the yeah. X6, which nobody understands, and um, and I'm I'm sure they make I'm, I'm sure that and then the the Z4, which I, I always thought was one of the ugliest sports cars of all time, <laughs> and I, I think BMW was a stronger and potentially more uh, um, a potentially more successful company when they had a narrower and more focused product line and weren't trying to do one for everybody. And with this one for everybody philosophy uh, reduces your average volumes because mm -hmm. your volume does not grow um, in, in direct proportion to the number of models. Right. And I, I also think they have to be mindful of, of who they are exactly. BMW was built on uh, a reputation for high performance and exceptional vehicle dynamics and a very close uh, interrelationship between man and machine. Um, that was the BMW DNA. Mm -hmm. And to some extent, if you drive the most recent products, they are somewhat departing from that. The cars are getting softer, they're yeah. getting mushier. And now they're and now with the i3, they suddenly decided they're going to be the ultimate <laughs> eco-friendly right. company with sustainability, sustainability, sustainability. And I, I think they're going to have to be careful that they maintain a core focus, or the brand the brand image risks being diluted. Right. It's almost in my mind. It's almost as if Mercedes and BMW have swapped places. Mercedes is building some wild machines right now, yeah. and and there's, I mean, they're introducing well, some new because vehicles. they're benchmarking each other. Yeah, <laughs> they are. So you they've know, swapped. Yeah. Well, I even in my day, I mean, I didn't put this in the in my book about von Kuhnheim, but it used to irritate the hell out of him when he went to some sort of conference of German CEOs, and everybody else was there with this was seventies, you know, everybody else was there with their S class Mercedes with the chauffeur, <laughs> and his was the only BMW three liter fuel injected sedan with a chauffeur, 
and he'd ask himself, why aren't these guys buying our cars? Right. And of course, the, the answer he got, well, see, Mr. von Kuhnheim, we like something that's bigger, heavier, more sedate, more tank-like. Right. And so he talked to me and says, you know, I think we need to, uh, this business of light and agile and fun to drive, that doesn't play well with the upper class. I think we've got to become more like Mercedes if we're going to get that. Right. And I I, I basically talked him out of it several (laughs) times and said, we cannot abandon, uh, we've got got the ideal customers, we've got the young guys on the way up, we've got the mid-level executives who are going to be CEOs sometimes, and just because they... They become CEO. They're not going to say, "Well, now that I'm a CEO, right. I think I'll get a Mercedes." They're going to stay with BMW. So we've got the future. They have the present, and and I, I was always able to dissuade him. But we were, I mean, we, with a couple of times we came within a hair of of building Mercedes Benzes mm. with BMW badges on them. Interesting. Uh, you mentioned your book. Uh, you have your new book out. And then this is your third book. Yeah. Uh, and do you, do you foresee more books on the horizon? And it's a, only a steamy romance novel. But so, <laughs> <laughs> but so far, nobody's interested. You're going to get a wig and go on the cover, <laughs> Fabio style. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's interesting. On a horse. Yeah, right, right, on, on a horse, horse exactly. Um, <laughs> you have a pretty healthy personal stable of vehicles. Um, some land-based, some air-based. Yeah. Um, you're a car guy, a bike guy, a plane guy, and a helicopter guy. Out of everything you own, if you had to pick one favorite, is it to, is it one of your planes, one of your cars, one of your bikes? L thirty nine Albatross. That's the one. Yeah, that's the ultimate toy. How often do you fly that? About once every two weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And do you, do you just cruise around? Do you take it to air well, shows? I just don't cruise around. I well, it's a jet. Around. Right, it's a jet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's uh, what's the top speed on that thing? Uh, point eight. Point eight. Okay. Mm-hmm. About 500 miles an hour. It's, it's not supersonic. That's still pretty quick, though. Um, that's got to be fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Mainly, it's nice and agile. And thank you, baby. That's pretty awesome. Um, well, Mr. Lutz, it's uh, been a pleasure. Um, Actually, I wasn't going to take up too do much time. I have one quick question. Um, sure. You work for Chrysler, Ford, BMW. Um, seems like you hold the highest allegiance to General Motors now. Yeah. Um, and I, I will say that the most fun I ever had working for any company was probably the period at Chrysler because it was a crisis period. We, we were all from somewhere else. There was no established way of doing things. Um, we, we had gotten, gotten the guys from American Motors who were um, very much used to doing everything with nothing and so forth. So we, we had a good blend of cultures and that was a ton of fun. But the company that I have the greatest of respect for, for the depth of its technical talent and design talent, uh, is without question GM. It hasn't always been managed well, and uh, the product development group um, often was suppressed and not allowed to do their best work. But whenever the GM product development guys are allowed to deploy their full talent, the result is outstanding. I just took a ride in this new Z28, so there's a good example. It was pretty impressive. You realize that that thing has the um, touring car lap record at the, at the Nürburgring Nordschleife 
and it it beats all of the exotic European. Basically, it's Formula One suspension. <laughs> well, it is. It's got like a seven minute some second uh, lap at thirty nine on video. They said uh, uh, they said on a dry run they could do seven thirty one. But uh, which is but, blistering. But if you look at the list <coughs> of European cars that right. it beats, it's it's incredible. Yeah, it's stuff that you think. Uh, you know, three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, it's very impressive stuff. Absolutely. And then you got the new Impala, which is just a sweet, silky car to drive. The new CTS V Sport, uh, the new the C7 Corvette, which just all off the chart products. Yeah. And a, a little anecdote about it. this is not for not for publication, off the record.